Let me tell you why this is a very difficult passage for some of us to take. Because Paul is assuming that we have a passion to reap a great harvest. And if we have a passion to reap a great harvest, that means we're going to sow generously. The very difficult concept here is that some of us, in fact, many of us, have never, ever given God an offering in our whole lives. It's above and beyond. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. This is Today with Jeff Fines. Thank you for listening. We've reached the end of a short series from Pastor Jeff. He's talking about going all in, all in with our hearts, our minds, and our relationship with Jesus. Today, we finish a message about giving our best and giving our best in all areas of our lives. We started it last time, so if you haven't had a chance to listen to that or you want to re-listen to other episodes from this series, you can search for Today with Jeff Finds on your favorite podcast app. Let's finish off now with Pastor Jeff. He's in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. In both the Old and New Testaments, we see two words to describe what we give to God. Tithe and offering. Are those, do they have the same meaning? No, there's a distinction and that's why both words are used. Growing up in church in East Tennessee, the ushers would come out at some point of the message and they would start, to, or sorry, some point of the service before the message and they would pass the offering plates. And I think it felt like the deacon said the same thing every weekend. He would say, now the ushers are coming forward and we're gonna collect the tithes and offerings. But nobody ever explained to me what the difference between the two really was. Even the Bible makes this distinction in Malachi 3. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how do we rob you in tithes and offerings? It's the double whammy. So tithe is one-tenth of your total income given at your first opportunity. What is the offering then? The offering is what you give above and beyond what is required because you're motivated out of gratitude and out of the opportunity to play a more effective role in the eternal kingdom. So you're giving from way down here. It's not enough for you to give what is required. God almost, not almost, but God communicates to us because he's the owner, he has a legal claim to the first fruits and the tithe, the 10% of everything that we have. But for those of us who are inspired by the reality that we can live our lives for something greater than ourselves, going back to the still bar, that we can invest our lives in something that really matters, thus increasing our own personal worth in a pragmatic point of view, obviously not with the Spirit of God. We are saved by, by grace through faith. We get that. But, but in enriching and increasing the value of our lives and our value to God as far as his kingdom goes, then we go beyond the tithe into what we call, what is described as the offering. So in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 in the New Testament, Paul says to Christ's followers, he, know they, he knows they have a heart to be part of this kingdom and to play an effective role in it, an important role. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, let me tell you why this is a very difficult passage for some of us to take. Because Paul is assuming that we have a passion to reap a great harvest. And if we have a passion to reap a great harvest, that means we're gonna sow generously. The very difficult concept here is that some of us, in fact, many of us have never ever given God an offering in our whole lives 
Because to give God an offering, you first have to give him the tithe. It's above and beyond. And if you've never given God the tithe, then you've never given him an offering. Now you think about that. Think about every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, and yet you and I have never given him an offering because we've never been faithful in the tithe. Seven, tithes are to be brought into the storehouse. Verse 10 says, bring the tithe into the storehouse so that they may be, there may be food in my house. Now again, cash, animals, grains, crops, all of these were brought into the storehouse of the temple. And the reason they were brought into the storehouse in Malachi is because that's where the work of ministry occurred. It, it was designed to feed and take care of the priests who were doing the work of God, but also to do the things that touch the heart of God outside the temple of God. In other words, they brought the tithes and offerings to the place of worship. And these offerings enabled those who were carrying out the work of ministry to work, to live, and to carry out the vision God had given them. Folks, no matter what kind of scholar you think you are, the modern application has to clearly be the local church because the local church is the modern day temple in many respects. It's where we don't offer sacrifices or do we? The sacrifices we offer now is our lives. And we're told that when we bring the tithes to the storehouse, the place where we worship, where we use our talents, where we play a role in God's vision, that then and only then is God able to do his work among the people to the degree and with the intensity that he really wants to do it. So you and I are partners with him in this. You're here because God has called you here. You walked in here one day or you became part of our online community. Wherever you are in the world, you attended this place and suddenly you said to yourself, I feel at home, this is my home. But you didn't determine that, God did. You felt at home because God brought you to this place because it is your home. Which means that he brought you here because there's a role you are supposed to play with your talents and abilities and your resources because God is a wise investor. And if everybody gets all in and we are faithful in this, it is amazing what we'll be able to do to change this valley and the world. But it's also pragmatic. Do you realize in this whole idea of tithe, God is saying, I am telling you that I have a legal claim. Whoo, I have a legal claim to the first fruits of your life. The tithe belongs to me. If it didn't, God wouldn't accuse them of robbing from him. You cannot take something from somebody and it call theft if it doesn't belong to you. It actually belongs to them. God is even saying, look, you got to realize that tithe's not even yours to do anything with. I'm just asking you to bring to me what I've already declared as mine. Eight, the tithe is the only area in life where God says, try me. I love this. Try me. He says, bring the whole tithe in the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord. I love this. This phrase in the Hebrew is without parallel in any other part of the Bible. And let me describe it to you. I've done it before, but I, this is one of my favorite illustrations. If you know anything about warriors and knights, they used to fight uh, sword fights and they would wear these thick, thick gloves to protect their hands during battle. And those gloves were called gauntlets, okay? So the steel mesh gloves to protect their hands. 
And so when you got into a discussion with somebody or an argument and you were angry, you'd take off that glove, that gauntlet, and you'd throw it down. And you, th- this was you declaring, hey, I know your insult. I'm challenging you to a duel. You and me, one-on-one, man. And he would take off the glove, throw down the gauntlet, and he would say, you want some of me? You don't think I know what you're implying in my life? You don't think I recognize your insult? Come on. And then he would say, try me, and throw down the gauntlet. God is saying to you and me and to his people, you and me now, one-on-one, you don't think you can trust me? You don't think I can make good on my promise? You don't think I see what you give and what you make? You don't think I know what my part is and what your part is? Let's go, you and me, one-on-one, let's get it on here right now. But God is not doing it because he wants to punish you. He's doing it because God wants you to be able to live the fruitful life, the abundant life that he's called you to live. But he's, you can't ask God to pour out his blessings when you're in direct violation. So God says, trust me, you won't lose in this. You will not lose. It's part of God's economic plan. You obey me in this. There's a direct correlation between your obedience Am I willing to bless you? Nine, tithing positions me to receive blessings from God. Now he says, test me now in this. And if I will not open the windows of heaven, I love this. Another great Hebrew word that refers to pressure. So you can imagine, let's say there's a window and on the other side of the window, all these good things, uh, you know, you can, you can describe it however you want to, but all these great things are pressing up against the window, but they can't get in. But the pressure is immense. It's, it's amazing. You know, as soon as you open that window, man, the floodgates would pour in. That's the word used. Jesus says, I got all these things ready for you. God says to his people, I got all this stuff ready for you and it's mounting up, mounting up, but I'm, but I'm not gonna open the window when you're living in direct obedience, but, uh, disobedience. But if you'll, if you'll trust me and bring the first fruits of your life into the storehouse, then I'm gonna open this window and it's gonna pour out so fast and so plentiful that you're not going to be able to hold it. Do you see what God is saying? No tithe, no returning. The windows of heaven are shut. It's poetic license illustrating a barrier. The adverse is also true. If we tithe, God opens the windows, releasing free-flowing blessings into our lives. You with me? That's the promise of God. Now, what we usually don't talk about, if those things are true, Conversely, there's a negative side to this. And that is one, disobedience in tithes and offerings equals stealing from God. Man, that is, that is a difficult concept. Uh, you know, if I walk down into the audience right now and I ask somebody to give me a $100 bill, and I've actually done this before, I said, do you have a $100 bill? And they reach in their pocket and they give me a $100 bill. And I say, you know, there's a great illustration I can do with this. And then I say, oops, I forgot what it is though. And I put the $100 bill in my pocket. Now I've got their money in my pocket. And let's say I go home after the weekend message and it's a week now, two weeks, and that person still comes and they're wondering, you know, you still got my $100 bill. My money's in your pocket. Do you know that when we're not giving what is rightfully God's, in a very real way, we have his money in our pocket. Now, when I say that to somebody, they say, don't tell me I got God's money in my pocket. Where is it then? Some of you have God's money in your car, others in your house. Some of you are golfing with God's money. Some of you are constantly entertained with God's money. You're taking what belongs to him and using it on your own kingdom. And that's a harsh reality. And pastors get very uncomfortable when they talk like this. Believe me, they do. 
but it's something we all battle with and it's our job as the messenger to say to you that the owner comes to the tenants and says, are you gonna help me build this vineyard or not? You're the people of God. We're moving toward eternity. Where's your heart? Now stay with me. I wanna give you a little idea of what's happened in our culture and why it makes it tough. I don't know if you've heard about the book called Toxic Charity by Robert Lupton. He says that if you come to someone and you give them something a first time, they'll appreciate it. But if you come back and give them something a second time, they'll anticipate it. They've gotten it from you twice. If you go back and give them a third time, they'll start to expect it. Hey, where is it? And if you come back and give it a fourth time, they'll start to feel entitled to it. Hey, where's my stuff? Even though it's a gift from you with no guarantees. And if you give it to them a fifth time, they'll become dependent on it. And he says, that's basically what we've done in our culture. The reason I use that example is because in our culture, marketers, you know how much money is spent on trying to, to reel you in to buy products? Marketers have made us believe that we have a right to everything that we want, including those things we can't afford. They'll provide a way where we can go in such debt and have what we have a right to possess. And as a result, you and I start pursuing things in affluence that we think we can't live without at the expense of what we truly can't live without. But the marketers are brilliant. God has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. In other words, you and I cease being rich toward God and we start seeking to be rich toward ourselves. This is the problem. And what I began to realize early on in my Christian life and Christian walk is that I'm actually asking God to bless me with things and my family and my children and give me a peace of mind financially while at the same time I'm in direct disobedience to him. And the reason we are the most affluent we've ever been and yet the most anxious, depressed, fearful, and frustrated is I keep saying that your flesh doesn't know what your soul knows. Your flesh wants to have it and to have it now. Your soul knows if it's not living for something that's eternal, it will die a little bit every day. See, God's not trying to be the big bag cosmic boss. When he gives us these precepts of the tithe and the first fruits, it's because he loves you and he knows your best life is investing your life in something that truly matters. Second, stealing from God has significant consequences. It's serious. From God's perspective, we read in Psalms that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. In James, we read that every good gift comes from the Father's from the Father above. Now, I want you to think about pragmatically again, we come into church on the weekends. We sit, we worship with gratitude for our salvation. We sing songs of the goodness of God and his provision. We bow our heads in reverence and respect during communion, thanking God for his sacrifice. We listen to a message in hopes that somehow we'll be encouraged to live life another day. And then part of the worship service, the offering plate is passed around. And even though some of us give automatically online and all that stuff, still the principle's still the same. When it comes time to give, each person at that, point, at that moment makes a choice. And it's my experience in ministry that there are so many wives who are wishing that their husbands would honor God in the tithe and offering in order to bring blessings into their home and their family. But the fact of the matter is, every college student, every single adult, every young person, anybody with any amount of financial blessing has a choice to make. 
You will either honor God with the first fruits of your life or you will not honor God with the first fruits of your life. And your reaction to that statement that I just gave you is revealing. Listen, the way you're feeling right now, how, whatever it is, is revealing of the degree to which the Spirit of God has changed your heart. Man, if, you're, if you've been truly transformed and you've grown, you've been discipled, when you hear a message like this, you're doing this. Yep, that's right, man. That's right. Once I started honoring God in this area, everything changed. Everything changed. And others of you are saying, man, all the church wants is your money. By the way, I went on and did a little research. I wondered how many times I had talked about money over the last three years. Just take a guess. In the last three years, how many sermons dealt with money? In three years, six. So if you say all I talk about is money, that means you've only been to church six times in the last three years. No, it goes back to what we said in the parable in Luke 20. When somebody comes as a messenger to remind you that you're not the owner, you're the tenant, there's this anger that's been repressed that comes out. Don't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. But the problem is it's because you don't understand that God's motivation in this is to protect you. To protect you. The absence of God's protection on your finances comes as a serious consequence to disobedience. In verse 11, he says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will drop their fruit, will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. So he says, If you decide to obey me in this, not only am I going to bless you, but I'm going to prevent the curse. I'm going to protect you from the curse of the evil one. The guilt regarding hypocrisy that comes with violating this tithe principle is overwhelming. In Genesis 4, remember? So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you'll not be, or will you not be accepted? In other words, Cain, you're depressed, but I don't feel sorry for you. Do what is right and the depression will leave. Most people know that it's a pretense, a sham, and it's shameful that you and I think somehow that we're the owners. We know what the Bible teaches. I'm convinced of that. Christ followers know. And deep down inside, we know even beyond our attempts to justify it. The first fruits principle is universal. And we either repress it or we embrace it. But even more than that, here's the beauty of this. When I am tithing, there is a peace that comes in knowing that when hard times come, I am not reaping the whirlwind of my own disobedience to God. Financial times, hard times still come. But when they come, I know if I'm in direct obedience to God, then I know I can wait for God to deliver. And God, I'm telling you, tells us in this whole passage that stealing from God means the loss of blessing. God is a wise investor. He's not an enabler. He's wonderfully patient. And I love it when he says, I, the Lord, don't change, so I've not destroyed you. So God is gonna do whatever he has to do in our lives to get us to that point, but he has great patience. Great patience. And then I love how the passage finishes. It tells us in Malachi 3, in verse 12, all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord God Almighty. I, so you, you hear what God said? God said, you know what? I actually want to bless you, and I'm talking financially as well. I want to give you, yes, there are other blessings, but I believe God also, there's no guarantee, but I believe God also wants to bless us that our fields will be fruitful when we bring the first fruits, in order that he may demonstrate to the world that when you live your life for my purposes, the blessings of heaven will come down upon you. 
I'm not saying we're all gonna get rich. Please don't put words in my mouth. I'm simply saying God gives this legal claim to the first fruits of our lives and then says, if you deny me that, why would you expect me to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you? You think that by withholding, you're protecting. In reality, you're destroying the potential of God's blessings to permeate your life. Okay, I wanna make sure we get this, okay? So I've listed it out for you quickly. If we're gonna honor God in this, and by the way, if we do, not just 20% of us, 30% of us, 40% of us, if 100% of us honor God in this, what we will be able to do for the kingdom of God will be celebrated, I believe, in heaven. One, tithe means 10th or 10%. Two, it describes the immediate gift of 10% of your income at your first opportunity, not after you've spent it on what you wanna spend, but first and foremost, three, Tithe is off the top of what you make. Comes right from the beginning, first fruits. Tithing for is a universal principle. It's not just something that God gave Israel all the way from the old to the new, to the end of the new, and to the modern day church. Five, tithing is a thermometer of spiritual vitality. You know that you're growing in your faith. You know the spirit is transforming you when you're working your way toward obeying God in this area. Six, tithing is the starting place for New Testament. In other words, once you do the tithe, then you start moving into the area of offering. And then the more you give to God, you create this wider base whereby God can continue to bless you because God wants to move his resources into the lives of people he can trust to build his kingdom into people and to churches. Seven, tithes are to be brought into the storehouse. I believe your offering can go anywhere your tithe comes to the place of worship and to the place God has called you so that as God brings us all together, we accomplish the vision that he gives us. Eight, the tithe is the only area in life where God says, try me. He throws down the gauntlet and says, stop ignoring me. I wanna be faithful to you, but you've got to obey me. There's a relationship between obedience and blessing. Nine, tithing positions me to receive blessings from God. And this is where we said he will open up the windows of heaven. Okay. Where do we start? Here's what tends to happen when I give a message like this. Oh, Pastor Jeff, <laughs> I'm way too far behind now. There's no, I can't do anything, so I'm not gonna do anything. Now, wait a second. When you become a Christian, you struggle with your temper. Does it get healed in one day? No, the Holy Spirit starts transforming you from the inside out and you come to a time when you realize I'm dealing better with my temper. Do you become sexually pure overnight when you become a Christ follower? Absolutely not. If you've got addictions you know are not appropriate, it takes time of healing and transformation and discipleship. Well, guess what? Giving's no different. This is a matter of discipleship and a matter of a transformation of your heart. So when you become a Christian, it's not like day one you're gonna be doing this, although that would be incredibly wise, but start somewhere. Don't just go away, it's too big. Jeff said, I've never given God an offering because I'm not giving him a tithe, so I'm already lost. I'm just gonna take my chances. No, if everybody just started somewhere, start somewhere, because right, as God sees you make that effort, man, it, it touches his heart. He is a patient and loving God. You might not be able to get there all at once, but start somewhere. It's like when you're running a marathon. I'm not a, I'm not a great long distance runner, but I trained to run a marathon with my father-in-law once, and I remember coming in, in, in running, you hit a wall, and you just can't go one step further. And I remember my father-in-law running beside me and saying, look, don't try to finish the whole thing. Pick a spot about 100 yards in front, run there. Tell your mind you're only gonna run there. Then pick another spot and run to that. And that's how I finished the last three miles of the marathon. One step at a time, hoping to achieve the goal. Think about it. If we all get on board and we go all in with this, 
Think about the life change among our young adults, among our high schoolers, among our children's area. Think about the workers we could continue to have and the work we continue to do with God's pantry. Think of what we're doing in post-Christian Europe, in Africa, in Kenya, in Zimbabwe, oh my goodness, in Mexico, on and on it goes. If we get all in, this little church in San Dimas is gonna change the world. Father, thank you for your goodness and your mercy, and I pray as hard as, as a message as this is to take, that it would inspire us, we would see what is required of us while seeing the grace and mercy of God that has been with us for so long, that we would praise God for his mercy and grace and goodness, but equally, we would develop an intensity to obey God, realizing that obedience and blessing are inextricably tied together in Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines.